You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey made a big announcement last week. Here's some quick headlines for you. All political ads will be banned from Twitter starting on November 22nd. By the end of this month, Twitter users won't see political ads from campaigns or ads about political issues in their feeds because Twitter's banning them. It's true. No more political ads on Twitter. It's CEO tweeting, we believe political message reach should be earned, not bought. So now if you want to see dishonest political ads, you'll have to head over to literally any other website on the internet. The move is supposed to stop politicians from straight up lying in their social media ads. Meaning, if you can't fix the problem, get rid of it. Now, political ads aren't big on Twitter. According to their CFO, Twitter made less than 3 million on political ads in the 2018 midterm elections. To put that in context, Twitter made about 700 million in ads in a single quarter in 2019. Most importantly, though, what Jack Dorsey announced has widely been seen as a direct response to Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg. He's refused to do the same on his platform. There is intense scrutiny of social media giants, particularly Facebook, for allowing politicians to run false ads. This really puts Jack Dorsey, a titan of Silicon Valley, at odds with another titan of Silicon Valley, Mark Zuckerberg. I'm Ariel Dimros, and this is Reset. Today, I'm going to explore the impact, or lack thereof, of the Twitter political ad ban. To be perfectly honest, when I heard about Twitter's decision, my reaction was, meh. I felt like it was an easy thing to do on a relatively small platform that I don't really think of as a place where people serve me a ton of political ads. But then I turned to, well, Twitter, and what I saw there was a lot of praise for Jack Dorsey's decision. People seemed to think that the Twitter ad ban was a significant move that would have a real impact. I wasn't convinced, but I wanted to know more. So I asked one of those people to talk to me about it. Recode editor-at-large, Kara Swisher. For a long time, uh, tech has been really pilloried for the impact it's had on democracy, and especially Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. And so for someone to ban political advertising, which has been this week in the news with Mark Zuckerberg saying he would allow politicians to lie, is a big deal. So it's really interesting to hear you say that because, honestly, my gut reaction was that this is kind of meaningless, mm-hmm. um, given how Twitter as a platform operates. Twitter political ads don't actually seem like they're that big of a deal in the Mm -hmm. the grand scheme of things. What matters are tweets, and those are free. Right. And the other thing that I'm actually concerned about is sort of the unintended consequences of this, right? If people can't pay to place ads in your feed anymore, then that means that what gets retweeted and what is actually valuable on Twitter is uh, probably tweets that are increasingly outrageous, Mm -hmm. right? So I'm wondering— 
how will politicians get the word out there on Twitter now? Maybe change a little bit the way that they actually talk on Twitter, right? They'll, they'll it's increase. already changed, Ariel. Let's like stop pretending that it hasn't become. <laughs> I mean, Donald Trump has changed the equation. AOC, Ted right. Cruz, Lindsey Graham, even. Or do you whatever. think this could make this worse? No, I no? think it's bad. <laughs> I think, it's, I think uh, twi- uh, Twitter has been brought down by Donald Trump's tweets rather significantly, and it's not going back. And this is how people communicate. This is how the president governs. This is how it's used. And so that is not happening. And they've got to figure that out. And Jack Dorsey, who is the head of Twitter and the founder and the creator, did talk about that. Right. But what he said is that political advertising and paid speech is very different than free speech in that it can be targeted. It can affect millions of people. It can micro-target. They use, uh, you know, machine uh, learning uh, optimization and all this stuff. It's a very different thing than someone gaining and earning their retweets and and stuff like that. And so it either depends, obviously, on outrage because, you know, engagement is enragement. Or it depends on great tweeting. like, And so I think that's what they're relying on. And they just know, even though they're not the biggest player in this, Facebook is by far, it, it sets a, a precedent and, and a sort of a line in the sand. And so it does matter. Symbolism matters a great deal because Twitter has such a massive mind space on the political scene, even if it's not the biggest. This matters. It says something. Silicon Valley is saying something or a big chunk of it that has a big influence on politics is saying something. That's really interesting because it seems like you're focusing on the symbolism of it, as you just mentioned. It's more than symbolic. It's more Because I'm not sure that it's actually going to have a real impact. Well, what if, what if it causes Facebook to do it? Look, Apple stopped. Will uh, it? Stop, well, look, a- uh, Apple threw Alex Jones off its platform after months of Mark Zuckerberg saying to me and many others, we're not going to throw him off. We're not going to throw him off. This is free speech, this and that. Oh, he breaks rules, but this and, you know, we, we're not going to throw him off yet until he really breaks the rules. You know, they were all not going to do it, including Jack Dorsey. And then Apple did it. Apple had not a big Alex Jones exposure. They Mm -hmm. had nothing almost comparatively. And uh, the minute they did it, the rest of them did it. It's just this is this is a big question of what now it's game on Facebook. What are you going to do about paid political advertising and not just paid political advertising, but not vetting any of it, allowing politicians to lie and, in fact, almost encouraging them to lie. If you just look strictly at Twitter, Mm -hmm. What do you think of Twitter political ads? Do you actually feel like they have an impact? See, but that's not the point. You're missing the point. Mm. Is that the larger idea of the discussion is now mm-hmm. shifted to why is Facebook letting politicians lie on? And it's been upped by in a quantum level by this move by Jack Dorsey. You know, Twitter is where all the media of all sides, all the politicians of all sides, gather, and so this is where this is why it's a big deal. I think I, I get the argument about not letting politicians lie. Totally understand that. I think for me, there's also an additional issue here, which is the issues ban, right? Mm -hmm. The Twitter ban also bans issues. So now Planned Parenthood can't advertise. Climate change advocacy groups can't advertise anymore. Gun rights groups can't advertise anymore. And people who want to ban guns also. And to me, this opens up a minefield for Twitter, right? Because now they're going to have to decide what is an issue. And that basically means anything that divides Americans. Yes, I think that's right. I think that's what they're saying. What they're saying is what I said in my Times the column in the New York Times is they've thrown their hands up and said we don't can't do this. And so let's just not. So there's got, there's a lot of issues that are of commonality and they're going to focus on the issues of commonality. Like, you know, we all want safety for our children and those who don't, they don't get the voice on this platform. That's fine. Yeah, um, I, I I'm just wondering there's you know there's they gave this an initial list. Immigration, guns, abortion, mm-hmm. climate change. Yep. 
they're going to have to add to that list. Yes, they are going to have to. So that that opens up a whole can of worms. Sure it does. But here's the thing. What they're saying is we can't, we are not going to decide this, and so we're not going to have it. And listen, it's a private business. People keep forgetting Twitter. Let me reiterate, Twitter is not the public square. They are not owned by the public. It is a public company, but it's a private company that's there to make money. And this is causing so much pain compared to the amount of things they should be focusing on, which is building a commercial advertising business. And there's all kinds of problems there. There's all kinds of problems around hate speech. There's all kinds of problems around bullying that they Mm -hmm. really need to be focused on to make it a better experience, including improving the product itself. This is a giant headache that they are ill-equipped to deal with. They do not have the staff to do it. And, and they don't have to sell those ads. So given what you know about Zuckerberg, mm-hmm. do you think he will actually care about this? Yes, he does. He gave a whole speech in front of Congress getting, like, owned by Katie, Representative Katie Porter and Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. He got owned by them on this topic. And he doesn't want to be dealing with this. He's busy over here making a fortune, right? This is this is not good for Facebook. He also gave a free speech speech at Georgetown about this issue. And so he laid out a set of uh, concepts that were very lightweight, I would say, and a very undeep thinking about this. She again <laughs> got eviscerated by Bernice King, the daughter of Martin Luther King, for incorrectly quoting what her father meant. Um, And in fact, the worst part was it was a speech in front of students at a university where you had to submit questions before and couldn't ask questions about a free speech speech. Right. Okay. Just just the whole thing is being handled so badly by Facebook. I'm kind of fascinated to watch it. But he has been known to change his mind. And it'd be really interesting to see, especially given that most people feel that Facebook did a lot of damage in the 2016 presidential election if they really want to go full bore letting politicians lie into the into the next election, especially given how much the Trump administration uses Facebook. Project this into the future. Uh-huh. Six months from now, yeah. what does this mean for social media? How is Twitter dealing with this issues problem? Does Facebook now have a ban on political ads? Where are we going to be? I think by Thanksgiving, Facebook will have a ban on political ads. I think they will come around to realizing that they need to focus on things other than this. And I think that they, you know, they go on and on about being sort of the free speech wing of the free speech party. But the fact of the matter is they make choices every single day of restricting speech, of people's speech, because they don't like it on their platform. They do it all the time, all the time. And for them to hypocritically say that they don't is problematic. The other thing they're doing is doubling down on transparency. So they're creating this incredibly complex series of ways to figure out who's done the ads. And as usual for Facebook, they replace just a clear answer with a complex level of dashboards and this and that. And you're like, what? Like, you know, we're going to put a note up on the thing that you have to click through to go. It's like, what? Just either take it down or leave it up and live with the consequences. And so I think they, they're either going to have to really simplify what they're doing and their messaging around this. Or I think they're just going to continue to to attract heat. Do you think that this is a permanent move for Twitter? Because from reading just the Jack Dorsey tweets, it sort of sounded like they were taking a step back in order to address this issue. Are we going to see political ads on the platform again? I suspect yes. I think none of these companies have done any thought before they started launching. That's a typical seller. They give you the—when they always go, oh, we're doing the beta version. You know, know, oh, I got the beta. That's not—would you like the beta version of a car? 
Like, no. <laughs> like, oh, the wheels might fall off, but we'll tell you about that later. Like, we are – Silicon Valley has foisted their experimental efforts on the public for far too long. And so Facebook or Twitter or whoever released beta versions of how they're going to deal with hate – but never really, in fact, never dealt with it. And then later right. they're fixing it after it becomes a quant. Or tar- not fixing it. Or not fixing it because it's so big. It becomes so big and so impossible. Okay. All right. Um, You're wrong, Ariel. That's all I'm here to say. I mean, I love I love it when you tell me I'm wrong. You know, it's such a, I, I don't know if you're a millennial or what. I think I'll insult millennials because then you can say, okay, boomer to me. Um, is is you, you're all like, oh, it won't matter. But it does. Like, you can't say just because it's small, it doesn't matter. It matters mm. that someone says you know what, this sucks, and we think we're going to do it. And it, it, there's a symbolic part of it. There's a part of it that may have implications elsewhere. There's an idea that Silicon Valley is finally saying we have responsibilities that we need to start focusing on. And I think it's just the first step in a lot of these companies recognizing that they need to have guardrails. To me, that's a good thing. I feel like I have a much better understanding of where you stand on this, especially with the idea that this is putting pressure on Facebook. I feel like Twitter's a little bit small, and I'm not sure they that it small. puts that much pressure on Facebook, but but maybe you're right. The small mouse changes things. Don't you know that? No, I mean, I just think, think what, the way you need to look at it is, mm-hmm. look, it is just changing this, but the politician's lie thing has a lot of resonance for citizens. Because when those lies sit next to truth, it's not the truth that wins. It's lies that win. Always, 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 always. When you allow them to sit there, and what Mark's argument is, like, if people see that they're lying— then they'll know what their politicians are doing. And it's the media's job to point that out. It's like, that's a big job from a from a business under siege because of Facebook and Google. We, our business models were destroyed by them. So you want us to pick up your mess. Should we let politicians lie, be paid to lie? And so that's really where I think the question is, will they maybe change that part of it, which is vetting these ads? And that would be great. That would okay. be another step in the right direction. So, Okay, boomer. Okay, millennial. <laughs> Kara Swisher is the co-founder and editor-at-large of the tech website Recode and the host of the podcast Recode Decode. Thank you so much for no being problem, here. No problem, Ariel. Okay, so for people like Kara Swisher, Twitter's decision is a big deal because it means Twitter is finally reckoning with its role in democracy, and that might push Facebook to do the same. I see Kara's point, but I'm still left wondering... Why is lying in political ads on social media, rather than on TV or in newspapers, the thing we're all focusing on right now? That's after the break. In 1964, the campaign for incumbent U.S. President Lyndon B. Johnson ran a TV ad during primetime on NBC. In the black and white ad, the camera zooms in on a young girl standing in a meadow. She's picking petals off a daisy. Then the scene freezes. and cuts to a giant mushroom cloud from a nuclear explosion. These are the stakes. 
to make a world in which all of God's children can live or to go into the dark. We must either love each other or we must die. Vote for President Johnson on November 3rd. The stakes are too high for you to stay home. Although his name was never mentioned, the ad was widely seen as a suggestion that a vote for Johnson's opponent, Barry Goldwater, was a vote for a candidate likely to start a nuclear war. The iconic ad made people furious. They thought it crossed a line, and it only aired once. Point is, fear-mongering and misinformation in political ads are not new. Now, in defense of Lyndon Johnson, first of all, Barry Goldwater may possibly have started a nuclear war if he was elected. Like, who's to say? That's senior Vox correspondent Zach Beecham. I asked him to join me on Reset because I wanted him to explain why people seem so fixated on political ads on social media. What are we actually upset about? The issue with political ads right now is not just that people lie more. It's that it is much more difficult to deal with misinformation on social media. And the reasons for that are basically structural related to the technology. Okay. Right, where if you had, uh, let's say, cable news, um, you had control over who got to see it. In an era before cable news, like when Johnson was airing Daisy ad, uh, you really didn't have much more than a few networks. And those handful of networks had really tight control over the spread of information. Now, when something gets onto social media, it, it just goes out there and it can disseminate very quickly into siloed or ideologically homogenous communities. I don't mean like filter bubbles, like the things that may or may not exist on the internet where people only talk to people who agree with them. I mean two groups of people to, in their social world, their actually existing social world, cannot be convinced of things outside of their party or partisan line. And so once a piece of favorable information of their worldview gets in there, then it's hard to dislodge and it spreads really rapidly on social media in a way that just wasn't really possible in the pre-digital world. Why is it different? If I see an ad on TV or if I open up a magazine and there's a political ad that, that appears to have some kind of lie in it, why is that different from opening up my Facebook feed? Yeah, you know, it actually isn't, I think, in, in ways that are relevant for this conversation. The difference is that Social media exists in the background and is a way of injecting the conversations into that discourse faster. So if you lie in a print media ad, what you would do to spread that lie around quickly isn't just assume that people – you wouldn't just assume that people would read the physical media you're putting it in, right? You'd run uh, a version of it on digital or you would have people take a picture of the ad right. and upload it to Twitter or something like that. It is just a much faster way of disseminating information. The problem is the underlying infrastructure in the background. It sort of sounds like the argument for banning political ads on social media is sort of calling out that social media works really well, right? Ads are very effective. They spread fast. They target the right people. Is this demonizing social media for just doing doing things pretty well? I don't know about demonizing. The, the way I would put it is uh, the focus on ads seems a little misplaced to me. Uh, the issue with, with banning political ads on Twitter is, is getting at like this narrow slice of the problem, right? Is, is things that are officially paid for when the sources of disinformation are, are much wider and much more decentralized and fundamental than that. Right. I was just going to ask you, would banning political ads on social media platforms, and, and I mean all social media all of platforms. Them, every single one. Would that stop social media from influencing elections? No, absolutely not. 
is the short answer. <laughs> okay. Like, right, like that's the simple answer. The, the long answer is, uh, you know, take a look at the Russian disinformation campaign in the 2016 election. For the most part, they weren't buying ads on Twitter and Facebook. What they were doing were standing up fake groups uh, that were on various different sides of political issues and using them to spread disinformation and antagonism while posing as, for example, Black Lives Matter activists or on the flip side, um, hardcore Trump supporters uh, and would get them to fight with each other. You would even have the spectacle of Russian bots arguing with Russian bots or even Russian activists posing as Americans arguing with each other just to create a sense of conflict and polarization. Uh, and they would often introduce falsehoods, obviously. That was something done entirely independently of paid ads. I mean, there there may have been some. I'm not familiar enough with everything the Russians did to be able to say definitively they didn't. But I can say the major mechanism of influence was by gaming the system and standing up fake accounts. You know, that's that's not allowed under Facebook rules or Twitter rules or whatever. You can't do that. But Right, that technically is already banned. But But they didn't stop it. And it's not clear how well they are stopping it right now when other people are doing that. I have no idea how many fake accounts I'm interacting with or interacting with me or what international actors or non-state actors are doing things like that. Corporations, I'm sure. The point is you can ban people from officially paying for things, but that just means they'll try to skirt the rules in other ways. It's really difficult to police. So is there a chance that this will actually make things even harder to root out and figure out where they're coming from? I think that's possible. Um, I, I can't say for sure. Again, it's this is all new, and it's an interesting experiment to see Twitter trying because then you can – if you're a social scientist, you can look at Twitter and you can look at Facebook, and you can see which one – after this election cycle is over, see which one had a bigger disinformation problem once you control for certain other variables about the user bases and so on. I, I, I don't know. Not going to do anything, right? It, it net will be a, a non – It'll be net insignificant for our politics to ban ads on Twitter, formal paid-for political ads on Twitter. So what do you think about Twitter's decision versus Facebook's handling of political ads? I, I like the thinking behind Twitter's position more than I like Facebook's position, um, in part because it displays a degree of ownership over the issue of the way their platforms are used in politics that Facebook is very reticent to do, at least has been in my experience. Mark Zuckerberg's stance about this as being free speech, and there was one line in particular that was so laughable to me where he kind of positioned – I believe this is during his recent testimony – positioned the founding of Facebook as uh, motivated by a lack of spaces to debate the Iraq war, which for those of us who were <laughs> on Facebook pretty early – yeah, that definitely like, was not the, not the point of Facebook. No, no. You talked to your friends and you shared what you ate for lunch. It was like really stupid. Wasn't it an initial version of Facebook just about rating girls about how cute they were? Yes. That's, it started, it evolved out of Face Mash, or at least from what I understand from the Aaron Sorkin dramatization of this movie, it started out of Face Mash. And it was just like, look at all these people that you can see on who go to Harvard. And that was it, right? It was not designed to be a speech platform. and. Yet them positioning it as something that it wasn't at the outset in order to avoid government scrutiny of their behavior, in order to avoid owning what they need to be doing about the way that their platform is affecting and shaping politics is really frustrating. So while I think Twitter uh, is a much worse platform in a lot of ways for American <laughs> political discourse, I like the way that they've handled this issue more. It's almost less the policy and more the moral impulse or worldview behind the policy that I like. 
Zach Beecham, or how I would refer to him, Zachary Beauchamp, <laughs> is a senior correspondent at Vox and the host of the Worldly Podcast. Zach, thank you so much. Thanks a lot. There's an important point that I heard both Zach and Kara make. The idea that Twitter's decision signals that tech companies might finally be taking responsibility for their role in elections. That's not nothing. It means something. But if you've ever gone to therapy, you'll know that taking responsibility for the mess you've made is just the first step. Now Twitter, and maybe Facebook, who knows, have to find a way to make changes that will have a real, tangible impact. And I'm still not convinced that banning ads is the way. But I'll let you make up your own mind. This is Reset. I'm Ariel Dimros. If you want to let me know what you think, you can tweet at me. I'm at ADRS on Twitter. And you can reach the Reset team by emailing reset at vox.com. If you haven't already, subscribe to Reset on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Overcasts, or in your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. We'll be back on Thursday. Later, nerds. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.